This is Barry Adams, and welcome to the Law Made Easy podcast. Tips, tricks, and traps of post-death trust administration. Someone close to you has passed away. My condolences. And they left you with a parting gift upon their leaving. You're the trustee of their living trust and in charge of settling all of their affairs and dealing with their grieving children, relatives, creditors, the IRS, and all the other people that want a piece of the pie. Unless you're an only child or a sole beneficiary, you will likely have some challenges in dealing with this important and difficult task. The purpose of this podcast is not to give you a step-by-step outline or guidance on what to do. Rather, it is to give you guidance about the best practices to do your job properly and to highlight some of the important tasks you should focus on. It's also to help you to avoid conflicts and litigation with the beneficiaries. First of all, I'd start out with the idea that communication is key to your job. The good part of living in our current time period is that communication is easy. Almost everyone, geez, who doesn't, has email, and we have scanners, and we can email documents, pictures, etc. to people very easily. Therefore, the delivery of information and documents of importance to beneficiaries has never been easier. So let's focus on why the principle of communication is so important in this task. I will tell you, that's because the number one complaint from beneficiaries is, I don't know what the hell's going on. Also, styled as, the trustee didn't tell me he was going to do that. I would have stopped or said something. That's terrible. But many times, it's just the fact that they weren't informed that causes them to get excited and upset. The failure to communicate on important issues feels anger, frustration, and distrust. It also may cause the beneficiaries to bind against you because of the frustration and anger they are feeling. This frustration and anger also may just be part of the grieving process. But your job is to not let it happen, to remove the ability for somebody to say, he didn't tell me that or she didn't tell me that. I had no idea. So at least you've told them. And if they want to object or get excited, then they can get excited at that time. That's life. So scan and email those beneficiaries all of the important information that's pertinent to the administration of the trust that they should or may want to know. There are some things they may not care about, but the point is you gave it to them doesn't mean everything, but it does mean important things. Now, here's another cautionary advice. Carefully, and I mean carefully with two L's, review all of your emails before sending them to the beneficiaries. I strongly recommend printing them out first. Why? Because we're sloppy when we send email. We include things that shouldn't be in there. We misspell things. Okay, that's not a big deal, but let's try it out too. We've got spell checking. Don't be too hasty. We get ourselves in trouble when we make hasty responses that are incomplete or possibly confrontational. You get that email from a snarky person or from a snarky point of view from a beneficiary, and you want to immediately, that minute, respond. Don't. Don't immediately respond. Wait at least an hour to let the information sink in and then consider this. What's the best way to respond to this email in order to avoid a confrontation with a beneficiary? Don't hit send until you're satisfied that you are not responding in anger or trying to teach somebody a lesson. That's not your job. Think about how that email may look to someone in the future, in other words, in litigation, 
trying to decide if you were being fair to the beneficiary. Are you showing an animus, an anger, a hatred of that beneficiary? Don't let that come through emails. Slow yourself down, print it out before sending. If you want to, I guess you could write up the worst email in the world and then erase it, but I would say that with Ukrainian hackers and all the crazy stuff we have on the internet that comes out after the fact, I think I'd avoid doing that. Write it in pencil and burn it. Don't text. Now that's hard, I know, because everything is going towards texting. It's so easy to say horrible things to people. It's so easy to have short communications with people that are simple. I'll meet you here, I'll do that. But it's not really a proper way to communicate with beneficiaries about important matters. This is going to be a challenge, I understand, but if you ever got to court, and again, we're trying to avoid getting to court, but having a line of text be introduced into evidence and trying to make any sense of it is almost impossible. So just don't respond to text. What I would probably recommend is to let people know, I'm not going to be responding to text. I've been advised that it's not a proper way for a trustee to communicate. Therefore, I'm going to, if you send me a text, if it requires a response, I'll respond by email. So just let them know that and then just make it clear that all trust business will be by email. It's easier to CC people, etc. So just make sure everybody knows that. Another important aspect of getting information to beneficiaries is that when you communicate information about what you plan to do and there is no objection at the time, it's very difficult for the beneficiary to object to that later. We've got code sections that essentially say that that's consent. So you're protecting yourself when you say, I'm going to do X, and then you wait a few days or whatever the time period, and you don't hear anything, you're pretty much clear to do what you want to do. Now, I do want to make it clear that although you are communicating all the important information to the beneficiaries, what you aren't doing in general is asking for consensus or consent on most of the important items. That's because you're the trustee. You have the legal responsibility. But there could be disputed issues where you do ask for consent, and if you can't get it, then you go to court or make your own decision but you know that's something you're going to need to discuss with your attorney it's too detailed too case by case to give you specific advice or general advice in this podcast but certain things for sure i don't think you want to do consensus on such things as picking the people of your team that you're going to work with it's very important to put together a team you're going to need a cpa you're going to need a real estate agent you're going to need an attorney you may need some other advisors stockbroker whatever financial advisor. Don't pick somebody's mother-in-law, father-in-law, sister-in-law, friend, cousin. Pick your own people. In the end, these are the people that are going to protect you, help you do your job properly, and you need to pick experienced, motivated people that, frankly, are going to be loyal to you. Pick them for their competence, not for their connection. Another key to effective administration is good record-keeping. Make sure you have electronic access so you can easily deal with bank statements, stock statements, etc. And be able to reprint or email to anyone that needs them. Alright, I want to talk about how to make a clear record in dealing with accountings. This is sort of specific, but I think it's important because it comes up a lot. First of all, don't continue on with the decedent's accounts. Generally, you can't, but sometimes people do. They just keep them open and they start writing checks because it's easy. Don't do that. That's the worst thing you can do. 
set up new accounts in the name of the trust with you as the trustee. You'll need to get a taxpayer identification to do that. You don't go under the decedent's social security number. And this will make it easier to get these new accounts to prepare your accounting at the end of the administration of the trust. Now, you open this account. What do you do if you don't have access to the decedent's accounts at this time? You need to pay expenses, you need to pay for the funeral, you need to pay for things, and you don't have the death certificate, or there's other reasons that you can't get access to the decedent's accounts. What do you do? My advice, and it's turned out to work very well and avoid a lot of issues, is rather than paying for things in your credit card, paying for things in cash, or writing checks from your own accounts, the best thing to do, in my opinion, is to loan money to that bank account that you set up. You set up the bank account in the name of the trust and you loan money to it. So let's say you loan $5,000 to it. Why is that easy? Because now when you do your accounting you have a full line of all your transactions from the trust account and when you get the money you just repay yourself that $5,000 without interest. Now you do have to check the trust to make sure there's no prohibition on loaning to the trust. You may want to send notice to people, hey, here's what I'm going to do. I don't see why anybody would ever object to that. You're basically doing a favor. And again, pay yourself back without interest. That's just the right way to do it. This is something that avoids when you do your accounting having to say, oh, I wrote myself a check for $3,233.33. Well, what were those expenses? Well, here's a copy of my credit card statement. Now you're going to black everything out of your own credit card statement that's not attributable to this. You're going to have to show cash receipts or checks from different accounts. Well, why do you want all the beneficiaries having information about where you might have a credit card or what was paid on it? It just doesn't make any sense. It's not a, an efficient way to do things, so I would avoid it at all costs. It's just a, an area that can be a problem. Uh, you also may set up a debit card on the trust account. I would much rather have checks being written. It's just easier to reconcile, but that's just advisory. There's some places you're not going to be able to write checks, so you might have to use a debit card. I'd also consider, this is not a hard and fast rule, but I also consider that it's a good idea to utilize a bank or credit union that you don't have an existing banking relationship with. Well, that sounds crazy. Here are all these years of cultivating a relationship. Why wouldn't I use my personal banker at Wells Fargo or Bank of America or whoever else you deal with that gives you points and everything else? Because of the potential for... First of all, it's not your account, so that's one of the reasons you wouldn't do it. It's a trust account. Secondly, to avoid possible issues with things being put in the wrong account or being paid out of the wrong account. You have two checkbooks. They're both with Big Bank X, and you grab the wrong one. You write a check out of it, or you deposit money that should go in the trust. You know, you put the wrong account number on it. It's just easier just to keep things separate. Part of the idea of the trustee is segregate everything from the trust. All right. It also avoids any potential for somebody thinking that you're getting something out of it. In other words, you're getting extra credit card points or something because you're at your bank. And, and again, we're talking about best practices. I'm not going to go into every single little step-by-step -step thing that you can do. You should follow the advice of your attorney. You can also read books on this subject. There's a lot out there, but there's no substitute for good judgment. Now, I have two strategies for dealing with fluctuating assets. What are fluctuating assets? 
Well, there's things like stocks and bonds and fixed or priced assets, we call them. It could be limited partnerships, I suppose. And they fluctuate. So the decedent dies on January 1st, and Apple stock is $125. Well, what's your job as the trustee? Your job as a trustee is to try to give people what the decedent had at the date of their death. Well, he had 100 shares of Apple. Those are just $12,500. What are we going to get him? $12,500 or 100 shares of Apple? He's sure to have a choice. Now, again, you're not going to sell this stock on the day of death. There's no way you could. But my advice is that if you want to sell, if you think that's the best plan, then try to sell as close as you can in time to that date of death. Again, it might be 30 days, but if you wait six months and there's a huge market crash, then people are going to say, wait, why didn't you sell earlier? You were going to sell. You knew you were going to sell. Why'd you wait? Oh, I thought the market might go up. Well, it went down. But your job is not to time the market. Your job is not to say, I'm trying to make this more. Apple, I've read reports, Apple's going to do well. No, you try to preserve the wealth. So if you're going to sell, sell as soon as you can. You know, I took all the reasonable steps to sell. Here it is. You're usually not going to have much of a tax issue with selling because you're going to get the step up in basis to the date of death value. And, you know, if it goes up a little bit, maybe you'll pay a little tax. If it goes down, then there'll be a tax loss. So the other option is to hold on to these priced assets. Let everybody know, I'm not going to sell these assets. We have this stock portfolio that the decedent had. I'm not going to sell it. I'm going to distribute it to you. It's 100 shares of Apple. You're going to get 100 shares of Apple. And I'm telling you that's what I'm going to do. Now, if everybody says, no, no, we want to sell it, well, then maybe you do or maybe you sell half of it because one person wants it sold it could get tricky on this situation but at the same point in time if the decedent had lived another year and wasn't actively managing this portfolio which most people aren't the beneficiaries would have gotten the same thing in other words they would have gotten this portfolio whether it went up or down they get the same portfolio so they can't really complain about that and again communication is the key in either one of these situations i'm gonna sell or I'm going to hold on. But either way, you need to tell people. And if you say, I'm going to sell immediately, and you get a bunch of blowback, then then maybe you consider, okay, here's the consents for everybody. Sign off, say you want me to hold it. And then, again, you're protecting yourself. You're protecting a situation. I've had it happen many times where people just don't even really think about it. They wait a year or something, and they go, oh, I guess you know, it's going to be hard to distribute these stocks. How are we going to do this? And they go ahead and sell a year later, and the market's down 20%. Or it goes, wait a second, look at all the money we lost. Because then you do your accounting and you show all these losses. And that's not what you want to show on the accounting. That's the thing that brings up the red flags. All right, let's talk about protection of the assets. There's another best practices when you take over. you got to protect and secure the assets. And there's some specificity to this that I'm not going to go into, and I think you want to seek legal counsel on this for sure, but also a lot of it's going to be your own common sense. Trying to avoid theft, waste, damage, uninsured losses. So we've got real estate. You want to take possession as soon as you can. You want to change the keys as soon as you can. Even if you have a tenant in there, you probably want to change the locks and then give that tenant or squatter or whoever the hell it is the keys. But again, you want to be able to be in control of the situation. You're now essentially the landlord, the owner of the house, and you have rights under the law, even if somebody's there, to do the things to protect the property. 
there's nobody in the property, you know, I would in make sure you inventory the personal property that's there as soon as possible. Make sure there's insurance in place, fire insurance, homeowner's insurance. If it's not in place, make sure you get it. It can be very difficult if the house is now unoccupied. So the best thing is to continue the, the current insurance. Vehicles, again, take possession. Don't leave them with other people driving them around. They shouldn't be driving them around. There's potential liability to the state for people having accidents. Even if the vehicles are not being operated, keep insurance on them because that's, again, protective to the vehicle. If there's an issue with them, if you don't have insurance, you have a problem. Don't try to save money saying, well, why the heck would I need it? Well, often you need to just move a vehicle across town or something. If you don't have insurance, you have a problem, you're going to not be covered. Okay, next steps. Cancel all the credit and debit cards. This is important. Again, you're trying to avoid loss. Grandma gave her grandchild a credit card. This is for emergencies only. Oh, oh, it's an emergency. I need to go out with my friends and uh, get bottle service at the local club. Well, that's not an emergency, but if you don't turn this damn thing off, you could have a problem. Communicate to all the banks and any payors, people who are paying money to the decedent, like Social Security, an employer, a pension plan, anybody that's going to be paying money to the decedent, that decedent is deceased. It's deceased, too. Deceased and deceased. Anyway, the bottom line is that you don't want money coming into somebody's account after they died. Most things such as retirements and Social Securities, they stop on the date of death. So you want to let them know. And you don't want to be in a situation of having to pay it back or mess around with it in other ways. Taxes. Get a CPA right away. Consult with them about what your job is from a tax point of view. This is an area of liability. You have the responsibility to file the income taxes and do the things to report. And you want to make sure that you consult with a competent CPA who knows this area of the law. Don't wait until the end of the administration of the estate and trust and go, wait a second, I guess maybe we should file some tax returns. You have tax obligations immediately. I'm not saying you have to file returns immediately, but you're going to have normal required filings based upon the date of death, what kind of tax year you choose. Get to the CPA and calendar those dates. I also highly recommend, again, this is on this best practices idea, you're going to need the Social Security numbers of every beneficiary when you do the final tax return. Get them right away. Some people may be reticent to give them to you. Maybe it's your brother or sister and they just don't want you having it. They think you're, you're not trustworthy or they're just weird. Or maybe they're smart. I don't know. But anyway, if that was the case or you thought there might be an issue, have the accountant and their staff get those and have them directly communicated to the CPA. Then they can't really argue, well, gee, I think somebody might use this or misuse this. We're looking at a CPA. They've got thousands of these things. That's all they do. So we can't really get in that situation. Let's flesh those people out from the beginning. Okay, how about legal counsel? Pick an attorney who is good-looking. No, that's not the most important thing. Who is experienced, responsive, and engaged. You need to discuss the division of labor. Who does what? In other words, what is that attorney? What is she doing? What are you doing? And you know, talk in advance about these things. 
Also talk about agreed terms of communication. How do you want to communicate? Is it going to be an email? Is it going to be by phone? And what your expectations are for the attorney in getting back to you. You know, if you ask the attorney, how do you usually respond to emails? That day or the next day, 24 hours, 48 a week? And if people are unwilling to really commit to these kinds of things, then I wouldn't hire them because the idea is that you need good response time. You need communication with your attorneys because in trust, quick responses are needed and failure to respond quickly can put you in a difficult situation because you just don't know what the right thing to do is. Maybe you make the wrong call. Trustees fees. Yes, you're entitled almost on every trust, almost every trust, to a reasonable trustees fees. So this is a lot of work. You should get paid for this. But this can be a touchy issue with the beneficiaries. Look at the terms of the trust and see what the provision for trustees fees are. Look at this in advance. Is it a reasonable fee? That's the default under the statute. If it doesn't say anything under the, the document itself, then it's a default reasonable uh, trustees fees. It may say a percentage of the assets. It may say you don't get anything, but you need to know that going in. And you also need to discuss, I say that you should keep track of all your time of course your expenses, but your time working on this trust from the very beginning. Keep track of it because if it ever becomes an issue as to the trustees fees, although most of them are not on an hourly rate, you can justify it. You spent your time doing these things. Consider also the fact that trustees fees are taxable to you and that you may already be getting a portion anyway. So let's say there's a $20,000 trustee's fee and you're a 50% beneficiary. Well, $20,000 is taxable to you under that trustee's fees, but if you didn't take the trustee fee, you would still get $10,000. So we've got to look at your own situation in the trust and say, look, is it better for me to get $20,000 that i got to report on my income tax, maybe put me in a higher bracket, whatever, or would I rather just get $10,000? My brother or sister gets $10,000, and they can't really complain. So that's something you need to discuss with your lawyer. Okay, accounting and distribution. These are really the final things that you deal with, but you need to start from the beginning with those things. Okay, so... Again, I told you about keep records. Make sure you have everything you're going to need. Keep it in a binder so that you have easy access. Have the electronic access in case you didn't get a statement or you need them later so that you can have them or you can send a duplicate set to whoever prepares this accounting for you. Also, make sure you can identify all the deposits. Usually it's not that hard to identify things you paid, expenses, because it's fairly clear usually if you keep good records. Sometimes though with deposits it's not because if we group five deposits together, we got an insurance refund, we got a PG&E refund, we got these multiple monies coming into the estate or trust, you may not be able to go back later and track it. My advice, and again it can be tedious if you have many checks going in, is to deposit each check if they're done manually deposit each check separately and denote on whatever you're keeping your records this is what this was for then you can go back and prove it and I also say take a photo it's pretty easy now or scan every check that comes into the trust that's just one of these things that has been a problem also in terms of avoiding accounting problems if you have securities that pay dividends that are reinvesting the dividends. In other words, you have Apple stock, and instead of paying you $3.20 a share, you have it set up, or the decedent, I should say, had it set up so that you get $3.20 
worth of Apple stock every quarter when these dividends are paid. That's a nightmare, especially if this trust administration goes on for a period of time because each time you're getting that income, it's also increasing the assets and it's very hard to account for. Make sure those are all turned into cash, that any dividends paid in cash. Okay, again, distributions. Be thinking from the beginning on how you're going to get those assets from the trust to the beneficiaries. Limit the number of accounts you have so you don't have to write checks from like 10 different accounts. Consider consolidating everything in one place. If you have stock accounts that are going to be distributed, consider moving all the cash over to that stock company, say it's Schwab or whoever, and being able to just split off the percentages. In other words, you have a million dollars at Schwab, there's 500,000 in stock, 500,000 in cash, have them set it up so that upon the date that you choose for distribution, the 250 of stock, you know, 50 shares of Apple, 50 shares of this, go to one beneficiary in the cash and to the other. And always, of course, you can keep a reserve just in case there's issues after you make that distribution. So what do we do to finalize this best practices, finalize the trust, get yourself off the hook, get everything done? You want to make sure that you do a proposed distribution and accounting to all the beneficiaries at the end, and then you send them this in the mail with basically a release form that says, I approve this accounting, I approve the distribution, and I release the trustee from all their acts. This is your protection. Now, you can't force them to sign that distribution, so what you need to do is say, you know, if you're not going to sign this, that's your prerogative, but then you will need to you as a trustee will need to go to the court and get court approval of all of your acts as the trustee so that you're legally protected. So again, if they don't sign the release and the consents, go to court. This happens every day. It's not that expensive unless somebody objects, and we hope they don't. And if they do, of course, you're going to hire your attorney to defend you, and it's going to cost everybody a lot of money. So most people are smart enough, although some aren't, or they're just too angry or bitter or crazy and they will object to what you do but get it before the court and get yourself protected get this done move on with your life go to the beach do all the things that you couldn't do because you were working on this i hope this has been helpful law made easy podcast barry adams attorney sonoma county orange county california listen to our next podcast when i finish it which i hope is soon